Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know it, it is true. Bless this time that it may edify and encourage. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you might recall two summer gathering series we had on John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I found them immensely helpful and encouraging to work through as a church, and it was particularly meaningful for me personally and for my family as well. You see, I'd read the book as a newer Christian, but it was during that first summer series that we watched the animated movie as a family together. And I must admit to you that while the book was very impactful, to be sure, the feature film really pulled at Jenna Ray and mine's heartstrings. One scene in particular in the movie is the main character, Christian, is leaving the interpreter's house. He's running up the highway with a great difficulty because of an immense and growing burden on his back. As Christian is so weightily saddled, even mourning his heavy burden, he finally gets a full view of the cross. At the foot of the cross, he rests all his burdens there. And he's relieved beyond his wildest hopes. He feels all the comfort of forgiveness. And as joy overtakes Christian, the hymn, Blessed Assurance, rises triumphantly. Oh, friends, I ugly cried at this scene (laughs) with a huge smile on my face as my family sat in front of the TV. You see, the scene made me recall when I first unburdened myself at the cross, and I couldn't help but keep what I was feeling on the inside contained. But my kids were quite perplexed at this. They asked, Daddy, are you sad? And I replied, yes, because in a very real sense, I was. My kids, still not quite satisfied and maybe a bit more confused, asked, well, are you happy? And I replied that I was. I was incredibly happy. You see, it's a paradox. I was blessed to mourn, and mourn I did. All while, I was blessed in the comfort my blessed assurance of salvation. So what do I want to accomplish tonight is convince you that we must grieve our sin so that we can receive true comfort through Christ. And I want to ask you two questions tonight in doing so. First, what should we mourn? And secondly, how will we be comforted? Let's start with the first. Now, remembering some context will be helpful. Let's briefly recall Wes's sermon on Matthew 5, verse 3. It's important that this idea of mourning follows being poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you might recall that Wes told us to be poor in spirit means that we're spiritually bankrupt, needy, totally dependent upon a holy God. It stands then that as spiritually bankrupt, we would recognize that we have no righteousness ourselves. Poor in righteousness is the human heart, but abundant instead in what? 
sin. So following his teaching, Christ then instructs his disciples that we should mourn over this spiritual bankruptcy and this abundance, this overabundance of sin. Well, what do we learn here? We learn that mourning, that the mourning that we are blessed by isn't the sadness that follows losing a job or in any circumstance where life just doesn't go our way. No, instead it's about mourning sin. Why? Because there must be a conviction of sin before we can be converted to Christ. To follow Christ, we must first be convicted. We must understand that there is sin so intrinsic into our hearts that it must be dealt with, it must be dealt with seriously, and it must cause us to mourn. So as Jesus described to his disciples what a follower of Christ looks like, he starts with a person who has a clear understanding of sin. So I'll forever love the Awana Cubby's definition of sin. Cubby's follow along with me. Cubby Bear tells us that sin is anything we see, it, anything we think, we say, or do that disobeys God. Now, if you prefer your theology a little bit more refined, uh, Wayne Grudem defines sin as any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Genesis 3 gives us the origin of sin when, in the garden, Adam disobeyed God's command and was ultimately separated from him. This is because God is perfectly holy, and sin is the antithesis of holiness. So therefore, God cannot abide it. And because of Adam's sin, we have all inherited guilt. We are all counted guilty because of Adam's sin, and we've also inherited corruption. You see, we inherited Adam's sinful nature. And instead of a heart bent toward the worship of the Lord, we have a heart that is twisted and bent inward toward the worship of ourselves. So we lie and we steal. And we seek what feels good to us often at the expense of others. More importantly, we defy and disobey a creator who in love made us in his image. We deny his love and all authority he has over us. This is the condition of man, who in Adam has fallen to sin. Okay, so this condition, this sin, this is what we should mourn over, and we must mourn to be truly comforted. Do we have examples in Scripture of what this means or looks like to mourn? We do. Let's look at some together. First, we'll look at Christ. Now, first things first, Christ never mourned over his own sin. That would be impossible. He never sinned. But he did mourn over sin and its effects that it has on our fallen world. Isaiah 53 describes him as a man of sorrows. What did he have sorrow over? The effects of sin. We see an account of him weeping at Lazarus' tomb in John chapter 11. His tears at the tomb affirm the reality of his sorrow at the effects of sin to include the curse of death. All while his following miracle demonstrated his divine authority over it. We see Christ weeping again in Luke 19 over the city of Jerusalem. As he approaches Jerusalem, 
Christ was moved to compassion for the people inhabiting the city. His tears there were an expression of deep love and concern for the spiritual condition and the well-being of the residents. See, Christ foresaw the city's impending judgment because of their refusal to recognize his offer of salvation. In his weeping, Jesus expressed a longing for the people of Jerusalem to turn to him in repentance. He desired their recognition of him as the source of peace and salvation. Jesus wept over the sins of others, over their bitter consequences in judgment and in death. And well, as if Christ himself was not an example perfect enough for us, this side of history, we have plenty of biblical examples of those who either led up to or followed after Christ to show us what it looks like to mourn sin. David, God's anointed king of Israel, he for sure mourned sin. David wrote in Psalm 119, My eyes shed streams of tears because the people do not keep your law. James, the brother of Christ, wrote in James chapter 4, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And the Apostle Paul, he instructed the Corinthian church to remove a sexually immoral man from their congregation and to not tolerate their sin in, in their midst, but to do what? To mourn it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we too, as Christians, should mourn over our sin. But praise God, there is a second clause to this beatitude, which promises comfort. Let's look again one more time to a psalm to help us understand that. David, in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, the psalm promises that there is blessedness, there is joy in forgiveness. If we confess our sins to the Lord. We see here David mourning his sin and turning from it. He did not keep silent, but he confessed his transgressions to a holy God who so graciously forgave David his iniquity. Brothers and sisters, this is why we here at RGC corporately confess our sins as part of our worship service. There's comfort in confessing our sins together to the Lord, all while knowing who we are in relation to the Father because what Christ has done for us. We can mourn while we're comforted. We can cry while we smile. And to my friends here tonight who are outside of saving faith in Christ, you might be asking yourself if you have the answer to the second question. How are you comforted? Maybe all this talk about first acknowledging sin, 
Maybe this makes you bristle a little bit. The world would argue to us that if we want to be truly happy, we certainly shouldn't dwell on our own sins. And so, in our burdened heart, we justify our sin, or we minimize it. Or we blame them on someone else, or we even just try our absolute hardest to forget them. I know this because I once did it myself. But it never worked. No matter what I did, I was so often left feeling so badly about the sins in my life. There was no real comfort in any of it. Friends, maybe you've tried like I did once to cover up your guilt with lies, with alcohol or drugs, or with endless entertainment. I love you all too much not to tell you that this is not mourning your sin. It's avoiding your sin. And at best, it's going to leave you a fleeting and empty happiness. Please hear what I have to say tonight and let your mourning lead you to Jesus for your salvation. Jesus, God himself, took on humanity. He lived a perfectly sinless, righteous life. There was nothing in his life to make him worthy of judgment or death. And yet, he willingly died on the cross so that guilty sinners who were worthy of death, sinners like me, who would mourn and repent of their sins, could believe in him. And through faith, the righteousness of Christ is accounted to us. And because of this substitution, this extension of grace, we can have the hope of a life eternally in the presence of God. This, this is how we find true comfort. So stop, stop avoiding your sins. Don't justify or minimize them. Instead, see them for what they are. They are all that you can expect from a heart twisted in Adam. Look instead to the cross and see what each sin cost the Savior. But in that cruel death upon the cross he never committed, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The penalty for sin he set aside and he nailed it upon the cross. Friends, let his blood pay for the price of your sin. This is where true joy comes from. And one last word to my Christian brothers and sisters tonight. I think many of us might just prefer to conceptualize the Christian life as a life of an outward-facing joy. An I'm-too-blessed-to-be-stressed joy rather than a life of mourning. We especially want to think of a follower of Christ as someone who's just filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit, abounding in never-ending smiles and seemingly unfazed by any possibility of negativity in our lives. We might want all the comfort with just as little mourning as possible. I also think it's possible to make so much of God's grace that sometimes we make so light of our remaining sin. And in doing so, we avoid the burden of it. I have trended my way into these camps at times myself. The problem with this tendency is that it means we have both an imperfect view of Christian joy and an imperfect view of Christian mourning. This mourning over sin that I've talked about tonight, the mourning that Christ is calling us to here, 
it needs to be allowed to have its full effect. It needs to bring us low. Our sins cannot be something that we excuse and belittle, harbor, or ignore. It can't be something that we compare somehow on some arbitrary scale to our good works, or even something that we compare against someone else's sin to somehow lessen the effect that it has on us. It needs to torment us. It needs to crush us. We need to be sorrowful because a true conviction leads to repentance, which in then, in turn, leads to comfort through Christ. And how glorious and blessed is that comfort. It's the comfort that only we can have knowing that the Lord has drank the cup. He took upon himself the wrath we deserve And he went forward to sacrifice himself for his people, for us. It's the comfort that comes with knowing that today and each day, he intercedes on our behalf before the Father. So why do we mourn? We mourn rightly acknowledging our sin. And how are we comforted? We're comforted knowing that Jesus really is the Messiah. He is the one. He is the one whom... God sent us the deliverance that we've needed all this time. And we're comforted knowing that all of our sins have been paid for because of the good news. The good news that Jesus Christ hung on the cross and died for the sins of many. Only to rise in victory over sin and death. The forgiveness of our sins is available to us by grace, through faith in him. If we repent of our sins and turn to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, like all who stand before your presence, we come before you undone by the weight of our sins. Father, wrap us in the comforting embrace of your grace. Lift the burden of guilt and shame from our shoulders, replacing it with the warmth of your unfailing love. As we seek your forgiveness, grant us strength to turn away from sin and walk in the path of righteousness. Father, in the moments of despair, remind us of your enduring compassion. Let the assurance of salvation be a guiding light, leading us through the darkest of valleys. May we find peace in knowing that, through your boundless love, we are made new and set free from the chains of sin. Empower us, Heavenly Father, to live in accordance with your will. May our lives be a testimony to your transformative power, reflecting the beauty of your mercy. In our mourning, let the joy wash over us as we embrace the promise of eternal life in your presence. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen.